the FT. When pitching for private equity, preparation is key. Systematic, methodical preparation. That's why we created Mishcon Invest. It helps clients develop robust pitch strategies. If we can't identify any weak points, nor will anyone else. Mishcon Derea. It's business, but it's personal. Welcome to the second part of a Deals and Dealmakers podcast, in which we are talking to two of the biggest names in M&A about how their industry is changing. I'm Anusha Sakui, and I'm the FT's Mergers and Acquisitions Correspondent. In part one, I spoke with Ken Molis of Molis & Co. about how the role of advisors has developed since he started out in the 1980s and where M&A is headed. Joining me now to discuss how the industry is changing in the wake of the downturn is another star rainmaker, John Sadinsky of Blackstone. John also started his career in the 1980s, in his case at M&A powerhouse Morgan Stanley, where he became the head of the European Investment Bank. He now runs Blackstone's advisory business and is a senior managing director. We caught up with him by mobile phone on his way to the airport. John, can you tell me today, how is the role of an M&A advisor different to, say, maybe earlier in your career? Well, I think what's interesting about the job I do today versus, you know, the M&A business was really a very much a domestic U.S. business in the 80s. It was a domestic U.K. business uh, in the 80s, and it's now very much cross-border. I, I would say from a Blackstone perspective, over half, over 50% of our uh, transactions really represent capital flows involving at least one border, and in some, some cases involving more than one border. And I think that's important. Uh, you've got the, the, the rise of the Chinese uh, as they make investments all over the world. You've got the evolution of the Americans who are continuing to invest their cash. And then, of course, you've got the newer markets, Brazil, Russia, Indonesia. These are still heavily domestic M&A markets, but still they're markets where uh, international companies are trying to establish a larger presence. And what does that require of, of the ba- of bankers today? Well, it requires banks to be cross-culturally savvy. It requires banks to have a global framework in terms of funds flows and investor uh, return, but also you need to have strong local knowledge of local regulations, local language, and local nuances in terms of ownership, shareholdings, uh, and also power, uh, and how power and decision-making takes place locally. And that's very relevant in countries, big countries like Brazil or Russia or Turkey. You mentioned that M&A is more complex than it has been before. In recent months, we've seen banks and bankers uh, come under the spotlight for potentially poor advice or uh, to be blamed for the failure of deals such as the Facebook IPO or conflicts of interest, as we saw in, in some deals in the US. Do bankers really do companies a good service? You know, it's interesting. Every industry has their high integrity, high performers, and every industry has has challenging performance and challenging professionals. I would say that bankers who are very honest, who manage client expectations, and who are prepared to be blunt, and I think there's a strong demand right now at board level, particularly following 2008, for very direct, honest, almost blunt advice. People will pay for candid advice. Many boards do not want advisors who are just going to agree with management or are going to pander to getting a deal done to collect a fee. They actually want advice broadly defined and advice that takes the long-term interests of all the stakeholders and particularly the board's perspective into account. So why do these situations happen? First of all, many situations, Anusha, as you know, have to do with market conditions, which sometimes can be 
uh, volatile or changing. And not if everybody could know exactly how the market was, was going to behave, they wouldn't have to work for a living. They would get it right the first time and retire comfortably. So markets can have an unchanged, have a changing and fickle nature. Why are there problems? I think sometimes there are problems when bankers don't take broader factors into account. And sometimes bankers have got to, um, you know, we're very focused at Blackstone on sitting with a small group of people led by Steve Schwartzman with a very strong emphasis on what is the advice, what is the input. And, you know, we look at things as an investor uh, because the culture of Blackstone and, and its alternative asset orientation in its history is very much from an investor framework. And I think some advisors can stumble when they don't sometimes consult with the broader internally. Uh, also, I find that advisors that have many more years of experience, 25, 30, 35 years of experience, tend to be ones that have seen business cycles, they've seen difficult judgments, uh, and they've seen uh, markets that are very, very changing. Now, this talent pool that you talk of bankers with you know 20 years plus of experience that pool is now shrinking as some bankers decide they don't want to work in these uh, markets anymore or they just you know come to the end of their careers where's the talent to replace that going to come from and, and do you see it coming through the ranks well there are there are people who are still hanging in there um i think when you look at uh, the chairman of evercore roger altman or the sort of the founder and the sort of uh, well-known banker Ken Molis. I mean, these people are still uh, getting up every morning and advising clients. And I think they are very similar to me in that they like to work uh, with people. The generation behind is there's a gap. And the reason there's a gap is many bankers in the late 80s and early 90s evolved and worked, moved into hedge funds, private equity. So there was a generation of people that didn't just focus on M&A. M&A was very much the chic thing to do in the 80s, but in the 90s and in the 21st century, M&A was not that chic. So there is a gap, there is an age gap, and therefore there is a scarcity of bankers who have longer period of experience, who've seen a number of different cycles. Mm. One of the reasons some bankers have left large investment banks is that they don't like the culture or the pressure on them to cross-sell products that they find that they're not spending their time doing M&A, giving um, corporate advice. As a uh, an independent uh, advisory firm, how do you find your role competing against the larger investment banks? I think they're all uh, very different. Um, I think it's fair to say they all have their have their strengths and there are different reasons to involve different banks. The, the large money center banks that have an investment banking capability, many of them are, have, are very competitive because of balance sheet power and strength, international uh, scale, and they, have, they can throw armies of people at a given situation on a short notice. The Wall Street banks have very powerful uh, advisory capabilities, but they're large and many of them have lost a lot of their senior uh, advisors. And many of under pressure to uh, cover what I call a volume strategy, strategy that's based on having market share, market share of M&A deals, market share of financing deals, market share of other products. And these platforms are ones that many big cap companies obviously need to service their balance sheet. But CEOs and boards for complicated deals generally will either turn to their favorite senior advisor at one of those Wall Street firms or, as many of them have migrated to different advisory practices or boutiques, 
many of the boards, many of the CEOs will go to people that they can trust for advice and not a product offering. So it's um, more about the person rather than the institution. I would say boards today, particularly in this environment, they want somebody who is in their own like an experienced brand name that they can trust. And let's say they do like that person to be working at a firm that has a brand name as well. This is why firms such as Goldman Sachs do well. Uh, boards like to have a brand name such as Goldman Sachs. They also like to have a brand name such as a Roger Altman or a Ken Molis or, or a Blackstone. One last question, John. Some bankers more privately say there could be an argument that M&A is in structural decline because consolidation has gone far in certain industry industries or we've already had a decade of very high-profile um, value-destructive deals, AOL, Time Warner, etc. Do you think M&A is in structural decline or do you think we will see a revival? I go all the way back to the middle of the 19th century when J.P. Morgan's father, Junius Morgan, and George Peabody really started to become very involved as merchant bankers in the city of London. And then it was J.P. Morgan who said that investment banking is really the crossroads of sources of funds and the uses or reinvestment of funds. And one of the big byproducts of that is the flow of, of capital among companies, which is what you call and I call the M&A market. You've got to answer your question looking at sectors, uh, there's no question that some sectors today, big M&A, I think, is perpetually out of favor. On the other hand, sectors such as energy, oil and gas, power, uh, and, and maybe technology even, are going to continue to command lots of wealth uh, and lots of resources, uh, particularly on the areas of fixed assets in, in oil and gas. And I think when you look at the importance of that around the world, and you look at how fragmented and small a number of even big cap oil and gas are. There's no question that that space is going to continue to represent large transactions. Look what we're sitting in right now, this whole restructuring of the global banking system. It hasn't really been restructured since 2000, uh, since about 1975, 1980. So we're now looking at 25 years of a banking system that really needs to look at its business model. So I think that is going to result in a lot of big M&A transactions and some further consolidation into financial services. Once boards become a little more comfortable with their balance sheets and what they are uh, made up of. John, thank you for taking the time to talk to us and thank you to our listeners for joining us. There's more coverage of M&A at www.ft.com forward slash dealmakers. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.